Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at hsstaffing.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me at noon next Wednesday will be Ann Kamen from New York Grant Company. We will be discussing planning 2017 and beyond. To learn about all future website, thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Anil Milani from 212 Tax and Advisory Services. We will be discussing year-end tax planning. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301 and dial 1 so I know you have a question. Anil, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Bruce. It's always a pleasure. And for those who have not had the benefit of hearing our previous uh, interviews, tell us about yourself and your company. Sure. I live in uh, New York City in the Upper East Side with my wife and two daughters. And um, I, after graduating from Babson College in 2001, I worked for a couple of different accounting firms, Deloitte and Wiser LLP. And when I was with them, I worked on clients such as uh, Forever 21, LensCrafters, Merrill Lynch, and also the Rockefeller family office. Uh, prior to founding 212 Tax and Accounting Services in t- back in 2008, I uh, served as vice president at Armel Enterprises, Inc., which was an importer and distributor of home furnishings. And over there, I oversaw the finances and the operations of a successful small business for about five years uh, before making the switch over to accounting and tax. Uh, 212 Tax and Accounting Services were a full-service CPA firm servicing the tax accounting and consulting needs of various individuals and individuals and small businesses in New York City and the tri-state area. Our business clients vary in size from small businesses all the way to LLCs and corporations, and we span across several different industries such as nightlife and hospitality, restaurants, real estate professionals, attorneys and doctors, among many others. That's just a little background on uh, me and my Did firm. Did you say nightlife? Yes, uh, we we have a, a little bit of a niche in uh, working with some of the couple of the larger nightclubs here in Manhattan. Oh, okay. Now our topic is year-end tax planning. So, what should business owners be doing today to prepare for the close of the tax year on December thirty-first? Sure. Well, as of right now, it being you know mid-November, a little bit before Thanksgiving, I think the best thing to do would to make sure your books are, are up to date at least till October 31st because as you know all the October bank statements have now been released and you know at least if everything's reconciled and input and classified till 1031 
you can look at the last 10 months and kind of do a little prediction or estimate for how your year is going to be. Um, for most businesses, you know, 10 out of 12 months is good enough. Obviously, some of the more seasonal businesses may change a lot the last two months. Um, but whatever industry you're in, it can't hurt to really, you know, look at that 10-month snapshot. Um, when it comes to S-Corp specifically, there's things that kind of a couple more additional things you could do in, in terms of calcula- excuse me, calculating year-end officer payroll, uh, figuring out health insurance things for 2017, what plan you're going, what plan you're going to go on, what you plan you're going to put your employees on, um, and and I mean that's corpse analyses both are, are as we were speaking before like flow through entities. So you you definitely want to look at as, as much of an estimate of your profit as possible. So you can then of course plan for estimated tax payments because it's it's usually better to make those estimated tax payments by December 31st or at least a majority of what you're going to owe, as opposed to waiting to Jan or February, March, where you may have, depending on your income and tax liability, you may have penalties for waiting after year end. Um, another thing you could do is look at your, ba- if you are, do have receivables, look at your bad debts. If, if any of your bad debts have now been, become truly uncollectible, you've really made a reasonable attempt to collect them, uh, write them off before year end. Why, uh, why pay tax on something you're never going to collect? Then uh, finally, we could talk about Section 70, excuse me, Section 179, which basically means that for most vehicles, equipment, furniture, certain fixed assets, as long as you purchase it and put it in service by December 31st, you can write off most, if not all, of the whole amount this year. So it's a it's a great time of year to to look back and say, well, what do I need now and or going into 2017, and even if I don't maybe need it till Jan, February, March, buy it now because you'll get the deduction in 16, therefore deferring your tax liability over 2017. I know that can get kind of technical, and of course I'm always happy to you know, get into it on another show or have consultations about it if people have more questions about it, but that's definitely a key factor in terms of deferring taxes till the, till the following year. One, of, one part of Section 179, which a lot of people like to take advantage of, especially now that gas prices are lower, are the, the kind of the SUV allowance. If you buy a vehicle 6,000 pounds or more, uh, and it's at least 50% business use, you can take up to 20, a $25,000 deduction immediately in the year you buy it and put it in service. So that's a, a, you know, a kind of a, a benefit slash loophole that a lot of people um, enjoy, you know, especially because SUVs are so popular these days, these days especially for families or, you know, and, and, a lot of cor- and, of course, for certain businesses that need that kind of space in a car. So those are just the kind of the few major things that people should start, sorry, business owners should start focusing on this time of year. Thank you for that. And uh, all right, so that gets us to December 31st. What do business owners need to do and when do they need to do it after January 1st to be able to file on time for March 15th? Sure. So it's kind of the, you know, the same thing. I mean, get your books in order, right? If you've done the 10 months and then 11 months, you know, after Thanksgiving or when December comes around, if you can get November sealed off, then really you only have the end of the year will be a lot better because you really only have one month to, to close out. So if, you are, if you're prepared before the end of the year, January will, of course, be a lot easier. And um, then you just got to get your, you know, your books and records over to your accountant, if, assuming you're using one. If not, of course, if you're doing it yourself, then getting through that process in terms of maybe importing the QuickBooks to the other softwares or whatever it is. But um, it's important to get your get your December 31st financials reconciled and classified properly, so then you can at least start get the ball rolling on the tax process. You can't start the tax process unless you have 
to know what your actual profit was, because taxes are, of course, based on your profits. So there, it's really, you know, Jan 5th, Jan 10th, whenever you recover from your New Year's hangover or whatever it is yeah, you did for New Year's Eve, it's never too early to really start uh, the process, especially because March 15th is really just around the corner. One important thing this year is that they are switching around two major dates. Um, they're moving up partnership LLCs, 1065s. They're moving that up from April to March 15th from April 15th, so it's going to be due 30 days earlier. And then for C-Corps, they're, they're moving from March 15th to April 15th. And it, it really makes a lot of sense because um, partnership LLCs issue K-1s. So, and you need those K-1s to do your personal returns if you're a member of an LLC, where C-Corps don't issue K-1s because they're not flow-through entities. So this little switch-up that the IRS uh, announced almost a year and a half ago but now is going to take place in 2017 will hopefully help, definitely help accountants, but also help uh, clients and taxpayers all over the country who are have these types of entities set up. So we all know that there are plenty of procrastinators in the world. And if somebody is unsuccessful in getting everything done that needs to be done, by the time it needs to be done, how do you get an extension? What's the process? It's, I mean, like we were talking before, you know, it's, it's, it's usually better to do an extension online because you can just easily um, print out the confirmation or save it as a PDF or whatever you want to do if you file it online yourself, either through, you know, the federal and state websites or through your tax software. Of course, if you're using an accountant, you would just really send them something in writing saying you want to file an extension. But either way, whether you're using an accountant or doing it yourself, you want to have that, pr- that printout or PDF that you have that a confirmation that the extension's been filed because it happens way too many times where these penalties and bills get issued for not filing the extension and but you really did you thought you filed it at least maybe it didn't go through online or they didn't get it in the mail or I mean if you really want to do it by paper you can still I think they're still accepting certified mail but it's definitely not the most efficient way to do it anymore uh, another thing to really consider if you are going to file an extension is it's an extension of time to file not to pay. So you must make sure that you pay at least 75 to 90% of your liability, if not more, with your extension to avoid penalties. Because just filing an extension and paying little to no tax really isn't going to do much for you when it comes time to file the return. It says so those are, of course, the major points of uh, filing extensions. You know, it's, 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 I don't see it as that complicated a process, but I, I do see it as you have to still have an estimate of your profit in order to pay a good estimate of your tax liability. Otherwise, if you're just filing it blindly, you know, it, it's not really going to do much for you. That's the way but I it's see it. pro forma? They always approve it? Yeah, well, all, all an extension really is is just uh, you're not really sending much information. You're just saying an estimate of how much you're going to pay. I'm sorry, estimate of how much you're going to owe and then how much you're actually paying. So that's that's there's only a couple numbers going on the form there. You're not really sending any revenue or expense information. As a recruiter, probably the number one question that I get asked when somebody is hiring me to find staff for them is, can the person be on a 1099 or do they have to be on a W-2? And I have my uh, list of uh, questions that I ask. What, how do you d- d- determine who gets the W-2? In other words, who's an employer, an employee, and who t- gets a 1099, meaning a uh, they're a consultant? 
So if you don't mind me kind of answering a question with a question, that is your the list you use? Did you is that based off what's on IRS.gov at all? Yes. Or is that somewhere else? Oh, of course. Of course. I'm okay. crazy. I'm not stupid. And the first <laughs> thing I say is I'm not an attorney. And the second thing I say is I'm not an accountant. But according to the IRS, and then I continue on from there. Right. So it's that 20-point factor test that's on IRS.gov that you yeah. know anyone can really just Google and really go through it if they want to know the actual, what the book says and the technicalities. Mm-hmm. I mean... The way I see it from a higher level is, look, if you're reporting to the same place of work, you know, <clears throat> majority of the time, you're under the same supervisor a majority of the time, you have little to no other outside income, you don't have your own website, business card, you're not invoicing, then you're probably a W-2 employee. Now, whether, you're, yeah. whether your employer chooses to still treat you as 1099 and you choose to accept that, that's another thing. You know, being in the business that I'm in, you know, almost every day I'll see someone ask me a 1099 question or bring in a 1099 and when we get into the other details of their tax situation, it's, to me, it's like, well, in my head, I'm thinking you're really an employee. But then it's really not, you know, necessarily my job, or you know, to go out and like report all these companies that should be treating these them as employees. I mean, if, if they if they want to file a complaint, you know, they can. But then it's such a gray area, then it's usually not worth the people's time, you know. So, um, but Google yeah, I mean, if you're if you're if you're truly an independent contractor, LLC corp. You, like I said, you have a website, business card, you invoice, you have two or, at least two or three streams of income, you know, then you probably are an independent contractor, you know. Um, so, you know, I, I, again, I try to back up, not really get into that, those 20 questions because you could, you could talk about those forever and, and run in circles forever, you know. Um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, this, is a, 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 this, this part of the tax law is interpreted in many different ways, not always, many, most often not often the correct way, and then it's up to the government to pick and choose who they go after in this case, because they're really the only ones that are going to enforce the law. And who gets sent to Sing Sing? Is it the employer, the employee, or the consultant, or no? Both it's, of them? No, it's usually it's going to if it's, it's going to fall on anyone, it's going to fall on the employer because and because they're going to have to be assessed a certain amount of payroll taxes and other penalties and fines. I mean, it's not really. Because it, it's not really, there's really nothing to go after. If the, if the employee or the independent contract, the person receiving the money, as, as long as they're filing and paying their taxes, they're doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, maybe if they sh- really should be an employee and they're not, they're paying a little more of the FICA and Medicare, more of the self-employment tax, so they're getting penalized on a, from a monetary situation like that. But, you know, it's the employer that's really the one who's, like, paying less tax or saving money. So it's usually the employer who gets hit. And there's several different agencies that can hit them for it. It can be near, you know, like unemployment, IRS, New York State, New York City, Department of Labor. I mean, there's different uh, agencies that, you know, can 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 enforce this type of law and and assess the penalties accordingly. Understood. Now, just a reminder: you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Anil Malwani from Two One Two Tax and Advisory Services. We are discussing year-end tax planning. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301, and dial 1 so I know you have a question. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. And, you know, talk to us about the Affordable Care Act as it pertains to reporting and fines or taxes. Oh, I thought Trump already uh, repealed it. 
Did I miss something? Not yet. So no, it's still going to be. So I mean, it really, you know, it really uh, affect the good. The good news for people like are most of the people we deal with, me and you here in the city. You know, under we're well under fifty employees. It doesn't. It doesn't generally affect us because the the government, at least whatever whatever your opinion was of Obamacare, they knew that the really you know under fifty employee businesses would would not be able to survive with these types of regulations and requirements and penalties and fines and all that stuff. So it's it, if you have fifty or more, you know there's definitely things to consider. Um, if you you know you need to offer if you have fifty employees, you need to offer some type of minimum coverage that's supposed to be in quotes affordable. Um, and uh, and then you have to report all of this. What you're, everything that you're offering, you have to report to the IRS on at least an annual basis. If you if what you offer leads to your employees getting a premium tax credit on their tax returns, you may be subject to a penalty for not offering enough coverage for them not to get that credit. Because employees' premiums employees' premiums paid cannot be more. They're not supposed to be more than 9.5 percent of annual household income. So that's why if they end up getting the because of that situation, if they end up getting the tax credit, that's why the penalty may be assessed. And generally, what the penalties are, I mean, it's you know, on average, probably two to three thousand an employee. You know, it, it, we can get really technical, get into the, the details of it, but on a higher level, it's two to three thousand an employee if you aren't complying with what you're supposed to do if you're 50 or more employees. Part of the um, yeah. the, the, the the main form, the, the, I don't know if you've seen these 1090. We of course see them at these 1095 forms. There's 1095A, B, C. That's really depending on the, how many employees you have and what kind of coverage you offer. That's the additional form, the 1095, that needs to be filed by the employer uh, in addition to reporting it on the W-2. Um, and the, the, if it's paper, no, right now, if it's paper, no later than Feb 28th. If it's electronic, they, they give you till March 31st to file these forms. I don't really love that because people are coming in to do their taxes sometimes before they get this form or they forget the form, and it does lead to a kind of mess. So one thing we know for this coming tax season, we're going to put that on our organizer and make sure that if you do have a 1095, that you must bring it in with all your other paperwork or send it in because more times than not, it's going to lead to a notice or a bill coming where we're going to have to do additional work later to fix it. So that's definitely become a key form since since the Affordable Care Act got enacted a couple of years ago. And that 1095 is for everyone or just those with 50 or more employees? Generally those with 50 or more employees. Yeah. yeah. So some of them, now, some smaller companies might still do it anyway because they they're offering coverage and they want to do it, but they don't have to. Gotcha. Now, what do employers need to know about their pension plans? Uh, the main thing is that there's options. You know, they um, fortunately we have uh, – there's a few different ones out there. I know some people feel like, just like the tax code in general, there's too much out there. Um, but just to run through, I guess, the most popular ones, uh, defined contribution plans include 401Ks, profit-sharing plans, and money purchase plans. These generally work for most types and sizes of businesses, and contributions are made by the employee and the employer. Uh, and, you, and as of right now, the max contribution is $18,000 by the employee. And the matching by the employer, of course, can vary. Uh, a SEP plan, a sim- simplified employee pension plan, is usually better for the small businesses, and only the employer makes contributions here. And that can be technically up to 25% of, of net self net earnings, up no more than 43,000 per employee. So, like that's kind of what I have for my business. What a lot of small 
businesses usually do because most financial institutions don't charge any fees for having a theft, and there's no IRS reporting requirement. So that's why it's popular among, like, smaller businesses. Uh, simple IRAs are not so popular anymore because of the popularity of the theft. Simple IRAs are similar to 401Ks. Both the employee and the employer may contribute to the plan, um, and you can have, as long as you have under 100 employees, you can have a simple IRA. A contribution from the employee max is 12500 and the employer either matches 3% of compensation or contributes 2% of each eligible employee's compensation to the simple IRA. And like I said, for SEP, for SEP IRAs and simple IRAs, there's no IRS reporting requirement, but for 401Ks and most profit-sharing plans, there usually is an IRS reporting requirement. So it's something else you have to have your accountant file for you for those plans based on IRS regulations. Which is, that's uh, hopefully enough of a rundown, I think, uh, for, for now, it right, is, on the pension plan. Now I apologize. Uh, as I told you before the show began, I am fighting a cold, and I just had a little bit of a coughing jag, but it seems to be over, so I should be able to get the next couple questions out. Sure, no this problem. Topic you need any really help, is interesting. <laughs> Explain it to, well, you know, some tea with honey would be helpful, but I don't think you can get it to me. Uh, explain the tax ramifications for employers and employees when employers give employees non-monetary bonuses, such as theater tickets or extra unpaid vacation days. Sure. So starting off with the extra vacation days, there is no tax effect on that because the IRS is concerned with how much you get paid, monetary or non-monetary, not how much you work. So you work, over, you work, you know, assuming you're a salary employee, not subject to overtime, you work extra days, less days, you're taxed on your compensation. Um, most other fringe benefits, like theater tickets, are always taxable, season tickets to sporting events, commuting use for an employer-provided vehicle for more than one day a month, membership in a private country club or athletic facility, use of employer-owned or leased facilities, such as an apartment, boat, hunting lodge for a weekend, all of that is supposed to be taxed also, and usually it's, if you, the right way to do it is to add it somehow, put a value on it and add it to the W-2. Um, things that the IRS generally does not go after, they call them de minimis fringe benefits, are traditional birthday and holiday gifts, of, as long as it's not cash, with low fair market values, occasional cocktail parties, group meals, picnics for employees or their guests, occasional once, in, once a year, once every couple of years, theater, sporting event tickets, of course, coffee, donuts, soft drinks, they're not going after. Flowers, fruit, books, similar property, you know, on account of an what illness, about family crises. Uh, if it's me, I was just going to get, yeah, meals. If it's meals for working late or, you know, working late or working overtime or, like, as long as it's not too consistent, then, then no. But if it's, a, if it's a, just a meal, if it's, if it's very consistent and it's not for any special reason, then that technically should be taxable, yes. Hmm. Um, and, of course, I think, like, copying... You know, personal use of the copying machine, telephone calls, they're not really looking to go after that stuff. That's all considered de minimis. It's not worth their time. The thing that is, the, the thing that they are stringent on is cash and, and any value. If it's cash or gift certificate or a gift card, no matter what, that is supposed to be taxable and reported on the W-2, no matter what the amount is. Now, my last question is totally open-ended. What haven't I asked you? What should we discuss that we haven't discussed? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that it's, I don't know if it's the elephant in the room or it's just me, but, you know, obviously we have uh, a change in uh, administration in the very near future. Um, not only that, but we have uh, 
a, a, we're going to have a Republican Congress too. So um, that you know the chances for change in the tax code are definitely pretty high. Not of course nothing's definite yet, but um, you know what President-elect Trump has mentioned is cutting the corporate rate from 35 percent to 15 percent. Um, which and he he's also mentioned if he if you know he is able to pass that it will also apply to the smaller businesses the LLCs the S corps even though they're flow through and they're not technically paying the corporate rate he would apply that same rate on that income on on that kind of actively earned income to S corps and LLCs so so this would of course reduce the uh, tax revenue quite a bit I mean if you're talking about like a twenty percent cut but then again I guess what at least most Republicans see it benefiting us is that it will cause a lot of expansion and new hiring. Of course, that's not definite, and that's, you know, sure. it'll be very interesting to see how this all pans out. For number one, of course, what gets uh, approved and what gets enacted, and then, and then the effects on the economy. We, you know, of course, no one knows for sure. Um, he's all, he's President-elect Trump is also talking about boosting the standard deduction and eliminating personal independent exemptions, um, and of course, collapsing the brackets from seven rates to three, um, the three rates would be apparently uh, 12%, 25%, and then 33%. Um, and the capital gains rates, he's saying, will probably keep the same, which I think that, I mean, that make, I don't think anyone really disagrees with that. So, um, you know, general... But none general of this would that. be applicable to 2016. Uh, I don't think that um, any of this can be done in time for that. I, I, I assume right. that if it's going to happen, it would be applied to 17. But you you do never know. I mean, there is, it is. I think it's possible, and it happened in history where it could be retroactive. But I, we we I guess we will see. There's definitely been a lot of last minute changes. I mean, we've seen it as accountants, and you know they they delay the e-filing, they delay the software updates. So it's not. But I, I more than likely it'll be at the soonest for, for tax year 17. I don't think it's going to be able to be enacted for 16. It won't, because he's only going to, of course, take over on uh, January 20th or whatever the closest week data that is. So, like, by then we're supposed to already start e-filing 16. You know, we can't, so I don't think that that's why I don't think yeah. it's going to happen. Um, Agreed. So, and of course, and then finally, I mean, he's mentioned how the estate and death tax, whatever you want to call it, the the allowance now. The tax allowance now is around the five million dollar range. He's been speaking about raising it to ten million. Um, so, those are again, these are things that, you know, there there probably will be at least some changes. It'll just be a matter of how many changes there are and, and the effects they have. But, um, you know, I just hope that uh, hope that hope that of course the economy can improve in 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 the right way. You know, not it's not just about tax cuts. It's about the overall improvement in the economy. So. I'm, you know, like other fellow Americans, um, just hope that hope that we can have some some good, real positive changes um, now that we've gone through this election. For me, the judge will be the uh, civilian um, uh, employment uh, participation rate. That's the number I care about. Right, that makes because sense. Because if yeah. that goes up, that means that the job market's improving. Right. Yeah. Jobs but, are number one, right, on the agenda, is what they always say. That's right. And the number 10 thing on the agenda, my 10th question, as you know, and I want to thank you. You've been a, a great guest. You've come on so often, and hopefully you'll come on next year and we can discuss whatever changes the new administration will enact. 
But for right now, and before I start coughing again, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch? Sure. So the easiest way is on our website, 212tax.com. You can uh, submit an inquiry through there. You can read all about our firm, all about the services we provide, the industries we serve. And there's just also just general you know, free advice and resources for most kinds of tax issues and tax questions. We do a blog once a month. We do some, we do, now we do, we're not only doing written blogs, we're doing video blogs. So our website is informative. Whether or not you're interested in becoming a client, it's definitely something good to check out. Of course, if you ever want to email me directly, my email is pretty easy. It's just cpa at 212tax.com. That's cpa at 212tax.com. And our phone number is 212-475-1040. And, of course, if you, if you want to stop by the office, we're open Monday to Friday from 8.30 to 6.30, year-round. And we do add Saturday hours during tax season and evening hours and Saturday hours during tax season. So it's usually better to make an appointment if possible. But if you happen to be in the area, we're just a block south of Grand Central. We're at 370 Lexington Avenue at 41st Street. So feel free to drop by or give us a call or email anytime. Anil, thank you very much for coming back on. I look forward to your joining us next year as well. And as always, a special thank you to our listeners. And I know Anil joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.